Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome yet again to this week's episode of Zoo News a Rasafari feature where I bring you news from the world of zoos, conservation, and animal stuff in general. I am excited to have y'all here, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week, but before we get into all of that, um, I have some news that doesn't really fit the, the real news categories, which is that a new trailer for Turning Red has been released. Um, if you've been following along with my adventures, you know that Turning Red is a Pixar film that is coming out next year about a young girl who turns into a red panda. And uh, it's going to be an animated Pixar film, and I'm pretty darn excited about it. I think it's going to raise a lot of awareness about red pandas, and there are going to be a whole lot of kids that are going to be really excited to go and see red pandas and spend more time at the red panda exhibits at zoos and... Crap. Well, now I'm sad. No, I'm kidding. This is going to be awesome, even if I do have to wait in line behind kids to go see pandas at zoos more and stuff. But hey, that's awesome that there is going to be this film happening that um, is going to raise awareness of this highly critically endangered species that I also just happen to love and adore. And also Pixar generally makes amazing films. So uh, I'm really excited about this one. And so if you get the chance, go and just Google Turning Red Trailer and you'll get to see it. It looks hilarious. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Also, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake and um, his original band, Sync provide the soundtrack to the trailer. And I am living for some JT and RPs together. Also, the new trailer for the new Spider-Man movie was finally released after uh, a lot of questions about when it would come out. And that really has nothing to do with this podcast other than the fact that, I mean, he has an animal name in his name. But uh, I'm really excited about the movie and the trailer looks awesome. And so now you can go check out two trailers about animals. Kind of. But this is not movie trailer news. It is zoo news. And for those of you that are here for the first time, welcome. Uh, The way this works is I will take you through a rundown of the news coming out of the world of zoos and aquariums and conservation and animals and all that good stuff uh, that's happened the last week or so. And a lot of these articles are sent to me by my amazing listeners who contribute to the pod. Um, and, and I love it. So if you would like to contribute, you can email me stories, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or you can tag me in them on social media. I'm at rossafari on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter, and at rossafaripod on TikTok. You can DM them to me. You can do uh, anything. You could even send a telegraph if you know how. And I'll get it if I know how. I I don't know how. 
But anyway, y'all, uh, this week is going to be a little different than the normal format of Zoo News. Um, I oof, this week started off poorly, and and I don't mean for me, but I mean in terms of the stories that came in. Um, I got three or four pretty soul crushing stories uh, right off the bat, and. Um, yeah, it's it's really a bummer. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but uh, it's all important stuff. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the time now, uh, right after the ad, to just talk about those stories. And I, I'm going to launch them and I'm going to break them down a little bit. And, and we're going to talk about those four stories that I don't love. And then I'm going to see if there is time to share any other stories or if all of that stuff will be moved to next week because um, I, I will get to the stories. Uh, Y'all sent in a ton of amazing stories, but uh, I don't know. These just seem important. And so I want to get them out right away and, and talk about them a bit. So uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to get to it right after this ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, and with that said, let's get to the big news stories of the week. On November 11th, 2021, at the age of 16, Winter the Dolphin passed away at her home in Clearwater Marine Aquarium in Clearwater, Florida. Winter is possibly the most famous dolphin ever, or at least since maybe Flipper. Her story was shared in the movie Dolphin Tale, and she also co-starred in the movie Dolphin Tale 2. For those that don't know the story, Winter was found off the coastal waters of Florida on December 10th, 2005, where she had been caught in a crab trap, which resulted in her losing her tail. She was rescued and taken to Clearwater Marine Aquarium, where scientists worked to develop a prosthetic tail that allowed her to swim in a more conventional way than her tailless body allowed. Interestingly, however, she often didn't wear the prosthetic. When I was there recently and got to see Winter, she was not wearing it. And um, scientists were also studying how she swam without her tail because it really was different than what other dolphins do. The way that she adapted to her issue was was incredible and, and scientifically valuable to study. A dramatization of her story was, as I mentioned, shared in the movie Dolphin's Tale, which stars Harry Connick Jr., Ashley Judd, and uh, Morgan Freeman, amongst others. And this led to international fame for Winter and the Aquarium. The cause of Winter's death was an intestinal torsion, Basically, Winter's intestines had twisted deep inside her. 
While the team at the aquarium was able to provide the best care and treatment, it was impossible to reach the torsion through surgery, and as such, there was nothing more that the team could have done to save her life. I will say that Clearwater did consult with experts from all around the globe, trying desperately to come up with any solution they could try to save Winter, but no one was able to come up with anything in time. While it is possible that Winter's crab trap injury and the distortion it caused in her body made her more likely to get this condition, the truth is that this is something that is found regularly in stranded wild dolphins, as well as honestly can happen to any being with intestines. The truth is, the scientific community doesn't really know a lot about this condition yet, and it is believed that the results of Winter's necropsy can actually help advance the knowledge about it for the future, which is a, a nice positive from this negative. And it's also worth mentioning that this is an animal that would have died 16 years ago if not for the amazing efforts of Clearwater Marine Aquarium and the people that helped Winter when they first found her. I'm sending my condolences to everyone at Clearwater, which is an amazing facility, and, and I'm so grateful that I got to, to visit and see Winter when I was playing uh, down in Sarasota earlier this year, um, and also to all of her fans worldwide and people who were inspired by her tale, because literally, her story inspired millions of people. But I also want to take this moment to go a little bit past just the animal and talk about the notion of using an animal at a zoo uh, as a, I hate to use the word mascot, but um, uh, as, as a large draw for your, for your facility. Doing this podcast, I get to talk to a lot of people in the PR departments of zoos. And when this topic comes up, it's always so interesting because the opinions are so varied. You know, there, there are things like Fiona the hippo. When I say that, anyone listening to this podcast knows that I'm talking about the Cincinnati Zoo. But there are also less famous examples that people who go to their local zoos know. Sticking with Cincinnati for a second, um, not only is there Lucille the Bearcat, who is the mascot of the Cincinnati Bearcats, and so a lot of people know her, but there are also animals like Rico the Porcupine. Now, if you don't know the Cincinnati Zoo well, you've probably heard of Fiona, but never heard of Rico. But let me tell you, if you go to the Cincinnati Zoo, you probably know who Rico is. Rico is an ambassador porcupine that lives in the Ambassador Animal Building, and um, he's really popular. So the way the Ambassador Animal Building there works is that they rotate what animals are on display frequently. And recently, they decided to take Rico off exhibit and put someone else out for a little bit so people could learn about, you know, a different species. There was pandemonium. Seriously, so many people complained to the zoo that they couldn't see Rico that it was decided to put Rico back on exhibit and they even had a welcome back Rico party. I was there the day that Colleen Adams and the rest of the staff were decorating for Rico's return. It was adorable. Um, you know, and, and a lot of zoos have that kind of animal. Tony the Rhino at the Philadelphia Zoo. Uh, Ash the Arctic Fox at the Buffalo Zoo. Timothy the Hippo at the San Antonio Zoo. Myrtle the Sea Turtle and Queen of the New England Aquarium. Joe the Orangutan at the Erie Zoo. I could go on and on. 
And whatever it is about these animals brings people to that facility and makes them care about the other animals there and about animal conservation and and gives those facilities a good name and helps people foster relationships with the animals and the facilities. And that's really important. But a lot of people in PR tell me that they're afraid to embrace that kind of thing and to make the animals more popular because animals die. Very few species have long lifespans, even though the lifespans in zoos are larger than those outside of captivity normally for for most species. But you never know what's going to happen to an individual. And, um, and, you know, I get it. I do. But, you know, Clearwater totally embraced winter more than any facility I have ever seen. And don't forget, y'all, I have hung out with Fiona the hippo. But literally, the website for Clearwater Aquarium is seawinter.com. Everything there was about winter. They have props from the movies. They have her original tale. They have her current tale when not on her on display. You can see all of this stuff. Winter is the star of that aquarium, and now the star is gone. It will definitely be interesting to see how the aquarium adapts to the loss of winter with all of that, but my guess is they just make it a memorial, and they... uh They continue to brag about the amazing work that they did for winter because it's amazing work that deserves to be bragged about. Even past her life, winter can continue to inspire new generations of marine biologists and conservationists and people who come up with innovative solutions to help save animals. And if there's one other thing I would like to see added to winter's legacy, it's that more facilities would embrace this concept of not being afraid of losing a star animal. Not only did winter inspire a ton of people, but the attendance numbers at Clearwater were huge after she became famous. Not only did that allow the scientists there to educate more people and the animals there to inspire more people, but it also brought in more money, which means the aquarium can expand and give a good home to more animals and do more conservation work and save more animals like winter. It's all a huge positive. And um, I also did a deep dive on social media posts that, uh, that the aquarium did after losing winter. And I have to say that while there were your occasional anti-captivity person who will post on literally anything saying negative stuff, there actually wasn't a lot of it. There there really wasn't. Um, and what was there was met with a lot of negativity by a lot of people who were telling them to shove it. So, um, yeah, I really hope that one of Winter's legacies can be that other facilities are willing to take a shot on having their star animals become bigger stars. It really does help, and it really does seem like, by and large, the community of people involved in the zoo world embrace those animals, and the anti-captivity people are going to be there anyway. Can't let them dictate what we're going to do in this community. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my final thoughts on that, and um, just sending love to all of Winter's fans and uh, keepers at Clearwater. Y'all did amazing work there. And that brings me to my second sad story of the week. The Lincoln Children's Zoo in Lincoln, Nebraska, announced that three snow leopards, Rainy, Everest, and Makalu, have passed away due to complications of COVID-19. I feel like every week I share a story or two or three about 
what animal has contracted COVID-19 where and um, how it's really a problem happening not just for humans but for zoo animals. But I keep lucking out and saying, hey, they all survived or, oh, we lost we lost one lion in Honolulu. But really, things are, you know, doing OK. Well, now they're not. For some perspective, there are about 250 captive snow leopards in the U.S., so losing three at once is a really big deal. So this is the standard point in the episode where I remind everyone that, um, you know, COVID is real and killing people and animals. And uh, man, I don't know, lately, uh, in the last month or two, it just seems like everywhere I go, people have decided this isn't real anymore. I'm going into more and more places where the vast majority of people are not masked. I'm seeing people take less precautions. I'm hearing more jokes about it. I know this is all anecdotal evidence, but um, it's been really drastic. Uh, the area that I live in is very liberal and has been treating COVID very seriously. And I left for three, three and a half weeks of touring. And when I got home... It was like everyone just decided that we've beaten this thing, and um, we haven't. So, uh, yeah, just for the, the the humans and the snow leopards and all the other animals that are susceptible, let's just, uh, you know, try to take care of each other, because doing stories like this sucks, and it seems like I'm doing one every week now. Which brings us to our third story of the week, which is that COP26 has officially ended. COP26 is the United Nations Climate Summit that took place in Glasgow, and um, over 30,000 world leaders, delegates, and private companies all met together to draft an updated deal for addressing climate change. And the deal sucks, y'all. It got approved, and it was agreed to, and it is a joke. You may remember that a few years ago there was the Paris Climate Accord, where a bunch of countries agreed to take a bunch of steps to limit global warming to only 1.5 degrees centigrade raise, and... um. <sighs> Yeah, that was a big thing that Trump pulled us out of at the beginning of his presidency and everything, and everyone was freaking out. Well, not surprisingly, even the nations that stayed in it are nowhere close to hitting their goals. While all of the various entities involved did agree to this new pact, um, there were no real super firm commitments, and uh, there are no consequences. So when countries or companies don't meet these goals, they're... They nothing happens it's they just agreed to do a thing and then if they do it cool and if not eh, whatever right before the pledge was agreed to some final changes were made to it that made it even less impactful than it was going to be uh so drastically that the president of the conference actually burst into tears over the changes it's bad y'all Y'all know me and y'all know that I like to stay positive. So as I was recording this, I, I said all that negative stuff and then I paused my recording and I went back to the Internet and I searched for positives to come from this, from reliable sources. And there just really weren't any. The closest that I could see to a true positive was Animalia pointing out that this conference got more global attention than anyone before it has. And, you know, awareness is a good thing. That's it. That's what we got. All of the other positives that I saw as I did my deep dive into this were 
silly. They they were talking about, you know, how the pact will work and how now that everyone's agreed to this, climate change will get better. But um, they were ignoring the fact that, like I said, it, it has no teeth. There is no reason to follow this. And in the past, governments and especially private corporations have shown a willingness to commit to things and then not actually follow through unless there are consequences. Honestly, transporting that many people from all around the world to Glasgow and doing this whole conference and everything surrounding it probably did more damage to the environment than it will have done good. And that is just heartbreaking. And finally, this week we come to a tale of three zoos. Um... <laughs> It's going to be an interesting discussion, and I'm going to do something that I don't usually do here, which is veer off from fact into the realm of speculation and possibility and rumor. Not because I want to spread the rumors, and I will be clear to say what is not factual and what is conjecture and rumor, but um, because the rumors have become part of the story. The AZA Accreditation Commission has denied accreditation to two long-standing members, the Chahinkapa Zoo in North Dakota and the Erie Zoo in Erie, Pennsylvania, and has also denied accreditation to one new applicant, the Montgomery Zoo in Montgomery, Alabama. So right off the bat, let's start off with the obvious. This sucks. Uh, I hate to hear that two zoos, including one that I love, the Erie Zoo, have lost accreditation. And, um... It's always a bummer to hear that a facility that thought they were ready to be accredited aren't going to be. But why this is such an important story and why I think it's worth focusing some time on is because there has been a lot of backlash to the AZA in general in the uh, zookeeping community lately. One of the privileges that I have with this podcast is that I get to talk to a lot of people in the zoo world and hear lots of opinions from lots of those people. And on the surface, it seems like maybe the AZA is denying accreditation to a lot of facilities that they shouldn't. We all know my opinion on what happened at Columbus and how they could have handled that differently. And um, if you don't, there's a whole special news episode about that, so you can go and listen to it. But I actually think that it goes a lot deeper than that, which is why I wanted to take a minute and break this story down. A lot of you reached out to me about this story, uh, not just sending it in for Zoo News, but asking my opinion and asking my thoughts. And um, a lot of the people that reached out are pretty mad at the AZA and were telling me they, you know, if they're local to one of these zoos, they're going to go and support that zoo and what is Dan Ash, the president of the AZA, doing and, and all that stuff? So um, I wanted to point out that sometimes you need to look a little bit deeper. So we're going to look at these three zoos and talk about what's going on. And we're going to start with the Erie Zoo, a zoo that I love and have done an episode from and want to do another episode from and uh, visit not regularly, but have been there more than a few times and, and actually thoroughly enjoy. On Wednesday, the zoo issued the following statement. While saddened by the news, the zoo team chooses to look at this as a learning opportunity, keeping their focus on providing excellent animal care and conservation education while working on sustainable growth and advancement. The Erie Zoo does not plan to appeal the decision 
and does plan to reapply for accreditation in September 2022, which is the earliest possible time that they could. The AZA has not announced why the zoo has lost its accreditation, but Emily Smicker, the zoo spokesperson and former guest on the pod, uh, put out a statement saying that the decision has nothing to do with animal care or welfare. It is linked to older zoo exhibits not meeting modern design standards. Emily went on to praise the AZA and talk about how important accreditation is and generally had an upbeat attitude about the fact that the zoo would be able to fix these problems and regain accreditation when it is available to them again. The Chahinkpa Zoo also put out a statement stating that they did not lose accreditation because of the care of their animals. Zoo director Kathy Dykeman said that in the reaccreditation meeting, she was informed that they would not be accredited because of two rhinos who arrived at the zoo injured in 2018 and the recent acquisition of two cheetahs from a company that the board did not agree with, despite the fact that Dykeman says it is a good company. Other concerns about the zoo include the fact that they have an orangutan that lives alone, to which Dykeman said they have been trying to find another orangutan friend for that orangutan for years, a lack of fire alarms in a building, and some outdated zoo practices such as its chain-link fencing, which Dykeman claims is a necessity to hold up during North Dakota winters. Unlike Emily at the Erie Zoo, Dykeman wants the public to know that the AZA is a support organization that they pay to be a part of to help with programs, and that the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the North Dakota Board of Animal Health are the ones that truly police the zoo. She said that the USDA usually conducts three unannounced visits each year, and they have not noted any concerns in the last seven years. She went as far as to welcome questions from any member of the public, stating, If they want to find out things, knock on our door. I'll give you a tour, I'll show you around, and it can be any time if you truly want to see what goes on behind the scenes. She further went on to say that this lack of accreditation will have no negative impact on the zoo, except for the member reciprocity list, which the zoo will now have to create on their own rather than receive an AZA printout. It won't hurt operations, she said, and will actually give the zoo a little more flexibility to do things it has wanted to do to improve and grow. The zoo does not attend to appeal and also does not plan on rejoining the organization, stating... Due to the philosophical differences and changes in the AZA organization, the Chahinkpa Zoo board feels that it is time to part ways and use our annual AZA dues elsewhere to enhance the zoo in other ways. We are still the same facility and still have USDA and ND Animal Board of Health we are governed by. We are doing our continuous research on conservation and looking for ways to help enhance and educate the public. Honestly, I feel like there couldn't be two more different reactions to a loss of accreditation. On a side note, if any of y'all listening happen to have a lot of money and want to fund a trip to North Dakota for me, I will 100% go and check out this zoo myself and take the director up on her offer and do an episode from there and um, really look at this because honestly, I would love to do that. I think y'all would love to hear it. And uh, if the invitation's out there, might might as well take it, right? So um. If anybody feels like funding a uh, flight and uh, a rental car, y'all just let me know, okay? But here's the deeper point on these two accreditation issues. 
we don't actually know what happened. Now, I know Emily at Erie, and I trust Emily at Erie. And if Emily says that there were some older exhibits that they need to fix up, and they will, and they're going to learn from this, that, that's, that's good enough for me. If she says that there are no animal welfare issues, I, I do believe her, but I'm also trying to treat this journalistically. So I did reach out to multiple other keepers, current and former, at the Erie Zoo. And um, yeah, the, the truth is I didn't hear a single negative thing about animal care, animal welfare, any of that stuff. Everyone was saying the same thing and it was all off the record and I, I have no reason to not believe them. However... That is not the case with our friends in North Dakota. Many former keepers at the Chahinka Zoo have come out to say that this is long overdue and that there were severe concerns about animal welfare at the zoo. Now, I need to point out that these were former employees. And, you know, depending on what happens when somebody becomes a former employee, they may hold a grudge. They may want to say some negative things. I'm I'm willing to bet that you could find some people that uh, I've had to let go from my tours that aren't big fans of me, um, but I, I think I'm pretty nice. So I do need to point that out, but I will also tell you that there were a lot of them, and most of them claimed that they left the zoo uh, of their own accord because of uh, animal welfare concerns. And this is where we hit a real problem that I have with the AZA right now, which is a lack of accountability and transparency. I think these reports need to be made public. And I think that when the AZA puts out a press release stating that a zoo has lost or been denied accreditation, they need to say why. It is in the interest of the public to know. It is in the interest of the public to decide whether we want to go and support a facility that may not be AZA accredited because they don't have a five-year financial plan that looks great or because the fencing that they're using is no longer the best kind that the AZA wants them to have, so they're not the gold standard anymore, but hey, all the animals are well taken care of and everything's cool. I am a firm believer in the AZA, but it is truly the gold standard of animal welfare. And I believe that a zoo like Erie that maybe fell a little behind on updating their stuff, but otherwise is taking great care of animals, you know, that's cool. I'll go there. I'm happy to support the Erie Zoo, especially as they are reseeking accreditation. And I really would love to go out to the Chihinkapa Zoo and take a look and meet the director and see what I think and, and have my own opinion. And, and I wish we could all do that. I, I think that would be helpful. I just wish we were able to know the actual truth of what happened with the AZA board and the accreditation hearing rather than just hear the zoo side of it. And then that brings us to the Montgomery Zoo, which is an unaccredited zoo. Well, they're actually now ZAA accredited, I believe, uh, but that did not pass the AZA accreditation. The Montgomery Zoo has not put out any real press about it. Um, it was one single part of one single sentence in the AZA's press release about the other zoos not getting accreditation back. But um, that's it. They really haven't had anything to say about it. So no one knows why they're not accredited. And and that's problematic for the reasons I was just talking about. Um, and also, it's it's kind of interesting because, again, I spoke to multiple keepers and former keepers at the zoo, and uh, apparently this is kind of the other side of the story. This is a zoo that 
not terribly long ago, would have been troublesome to me and to a lot of my listeners, a zoo that was not maybe always putting the best interests of their animals first, according to many former employees there. However, in recent years, they have made huge strides to improve and work to get better and are now attempting to become an AZA-accredited zoo, which is awesome. So the fact that they were denied accreditation this time around might mean that they're really close and doing the best that they've ever done and just need to shore up a few couple last things and then there'll be an AZA-accredited zoo. Yay! Fireworks go off. Woo! Yay! Or it might mean they're a complete disaster and we should all stay away and no one really knows. Again, from talking to people, I tend to believe that the former is true and that this is going to end up being an awesome story a year from now when they get accreditation. Um, But, you know, we'll see. That's, that's the best that you can say. And so, yeah, that goes to the larger issue at hand here, which is a lot of people talking about their problems with the AZA and saying that they don't like Dan Ash and they think that the accreditation committee has gotten too powerful and it's gone to their heads and all of that. Well, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't love what happened at Columbus, but I, I do understand it. I, I don't think it was the right choice, and I hope that the appeal wins. But again, I understand where they're coming from. It sounds like Erie understands where they're coming from and respects it and plans on making a couple of changes and then getting right back to being accredited a year from now. And that's awesome. And I like that zoo a lot. I really do. It sounds like the Chahinkapa Zoo is very, very much done with the AZA and is unimpressed by them and is over it. And it sounds like the zoo in Montgomery is on its way up and almost there. And that's really important because even though these were all announced at the same time, they are three incredibly different stories. And most of the people who reached out to me about them were treating it like it's just one story repeated three times in three different locations and really four times if you add Columbus to it recently. There's a lot of concern about the choices that the AZA is making in these decisions. And, um... There's a real easy way to fix that. It's called transparency. If the AZA would open up their books a little bit more and let us know what's going on with these accreditation reports and why places are or are not accredited, why things are tabled or why things are given a yes or a no, then it would help the public at large determine how they want to treat these facilities when they are not accredited. And I understand that the AZA might even think that hurts their brand a little bit. They might think, hey, you're either accredited or not, and we only want you going to accredited zoos. But if animal welfare is the actual concern, then they should be doing everything in their power to let the public know about every facility that they can, whether accredited or not. At the end of the day, it would not only help with animal welfare across the country, but would also help earn back the trust that has been lost amongst many in the zookeeping community and some of the general zoo-loving public in the AZA. Trust that I think needs to be there because the AZA truly is the gold standard for a reason. (music) 
Okay, and that is the end of our sad zoo news episode. I would like to thank the following people who contributed stories, not necessarily to this episode, but sent me things this week. And I will thank you all again when I use your stories next week, I promise. Colleen Lenahan, Anya Keen, Alicia Gaudet, Snow Leopard Runner on Instagram, Dylan Hoggy, Hoggy? Sorry, I didn't ask how to pronounce that, bud. Kim Cooley, Peter Oilo, Andrew King, Karen Galinaw, and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross, who actually sent me a purposely happy story just because she knew I was sad recording this one, and I think that is adorable. Thanks, Zoe. Also, thank you to PJ Bevan and Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patrons on Patreon. Y'all, your support really helps this podcast be what it is. Remember that if you want to hear your name right here, you can send me stories, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or tag me in them on social media. And remember, friends, the phrase sad newsy credits backwards is Steiderk Yeswen Das. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.